guys, welcome to the Remote Working Show by Remote Tools. I'm your host Karthik and on this show we talk to leaders from top remote companies and gather their thoughts around everything remote. The Remote Working Show is powered by Flexible, a network of the best freelance developers and designers. In this season, we are going to be talking to early stage and fast growing startups who, as one can imagine, are in the early part of their remote working journey. To get us off to a great start, we have with us Andre Rash, co-founder and CEO of SafetyWay. He's a serial entrepreneur with two of his companies being a part of Y Combinator's program. He's been working on Safety Wing for over three years now. Safety Wing provides insurance all around the world for digital nomads and remote workers. Hey, Sondre, welcome to the show and thanks for taking time, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Super, Sondre. I know that there's so much to talk about in remote working, especially given all that's happening in the world right now. But probably um, just taking a step back, I'd like to know what your 2020 resolution is. Yes. So my my personal 2020 resolution is um, tied up with Safety Wings 2020 resolution. So, And that is uh, for this year, we want to, by the end of the year, have both. We just launched our global health product and by the end of the year we want to have a global pension product uh, ready uh, which is the next step in our in journey to building a global social safety net so that is uh, my primary goal and resolution although i should say like with everything the coronavirus is shifting our priorities and uh, we we now are in the near term also you know just focused on helping out our customers and seeing if we can make tools that are useful for people, you know, in, in the ongoing crisis. Definitely. Pretty tough times, but yeah, that's a pretty amazing goal and I wish you the very best with it. And uh, probably that that's a good uh, jump off point to actually start talking a little about Safety Wing itself. Uh, would really mm-hmm. love to know a bit about Safety Wing, how you guys started, what was the, you know, genesis of the idea. And uh, mm-hmm. one thing in particular, which I was really interested to understand is how much of uh, these two factors, that is the fact that you were, uh, you know, your past startups were focused on freelancers, as mm-hmm. well as the fact that you're from Norway, uh, affected the entire idea of Safety Way. Mm. Yes. Yes. So, so in the past, uh, I did a couple of things. You know, it's, it's that uh, there's this famous Steve Jobs speech where he says that you can only connect the dots looking back. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I did some very <laughs> varied things in the past. So I already as a teenager, I was founder and uh, did things on the internet a lot. And then I got interested in policy and politics. And after I studied economics, I worked as a policy advisor for the government of Norway, working among other things with uh, our social safety net. So mm. I got to know that very closely. Mm. Uh, I then started what is now Superside, uh, w- where there were freelancers all over the world uh, doing projects for companies. And we at one point wanted to provide benefits like health insurance for a portion of the freelancers on that platform. And we discovered that uh, nobody had that because they were spread out all over the world. It was pretty easy to buy for people in one area. Like, for example, if you're an American company, it's easy to buy for people in the U.S. Mm. But our people were in like 120 countries and there was no uh, product that yeah. worked. For them. 
So that was kind of when I realized that, oh, that's a big problem because everyone who is hiring remotely will uh, hire across borders because the internet has no borders. Right. So I realized then someone had to build that and decided in the end that we, we were the one to do it. Uh, and uh, with my past experience from the social security system of Norway, mm-hmm. and also with my co-founder Hans and Sarah, who were digital nomads, and we all had that experience of like at home having a very functional, good social safety net, mm-hmm. and then going abroad and having nothing. So we uh, essentially started out by asking the question, could we make what we have in Norway available online globally as a product? Mm. Uh, and uh, that's what we're trying to do. That sounds super interesting. So is the other freelance platform that you were talking about still live? Are you managing two startups at the moment? How does it work? Yeah, it is still live, but no, I'm not managing it. That is run by my co-founder there, Frederick, uh, today. And uh, so superside.com is that website. It's uh, well. Lovely, lovely. Sounds great. And, you know, when you speak about safety wing, I've read uh, quite a few, few blogs that you've written as well. You you speak of a very grand vision over there. You speak about the country on the internet and you talk about how countries, you know, actual physical countries are now competing with one another uh, as, you know, companies would. So uh, can you just talk a little about that and how, uh, you know, safety wing fits in this grand scheme and what the long-term vision is to, you know, probably help achieve such a grand vision. Yes. So um, uh, this comes from an analysis uh, that we did, you know, fairly did fairly early on about how it looks to me like the world is going to evolve with the internet. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of those things have already happened, uh, but some are, are, are yet to come. Um, and and that is essentially that as people start to work online and uh, hire remotely, uh, there are many very predictable things that come from that. Uh, so one is I mentioned that, you know, as people hire across borders, uh, the existing infrastructure, social infrastructure doesn't work anymore. Hmm. Um, and that's true even in the very, very... Uh, developed countries. Like when we hire someone in Finland, we have to hire that person as a contractor because that's a different country than Norway. And they then don't qualify for a lot of the national systems. So the problem is that the internet is global. Social safety nets are typically national. Um, So uh, that means that new structures have to be built for this new world. And if you look at a country, almost any country in the world, and you just take their budget, you will find inevitably that most of the budget, or over half in most cases, goes to what you can broadly call the social safety net of that country. So that is things like uh, pensions, taking care of the elderly, uh, health, uh, income protection, like if people are unemployed, uh, in general provisions of public goods. So, uh, the, uh, by building a social safety net, we are essentially also taking the first step to building the, the thing that will provide the services people used to get from countries. Uh, but this has to be built globally. 
uh, and that is um, that is the the idea of the beginning of uh, what will eventually become something like the first country on the internet. Of course, it's also in some ways not going to be like a country. Sure. Uh, uh, so that is why the analogy, you know, is interesting. But um, a country um, on the internet will be different than uh, a normal country like we know them today. It will have to be because the technological context is different. So the way it has to work has to be different. In short, it has to be global. But I actually also think that uh, normal countries have to adapt to this new technological world uh, and they will change. So um, from the country's perspective, and I know this, you know, having worked in the country, uh, if you, so today, if you work remote or as a freelancer or entrepreneur, you can live anywhere. So you're a location independent. That's what we call on our website, digital nomads. And in the world, there are today 200 countries and each have their own social structures. But the internet has already made us a global market with people hiring and buying and selling across borders on the internet. Hmm. And and one thing this is already doing is that it's transforming countries from monopolies to competitors. So if you're... um, uh, you know, if you earn a living on the internet and you your assets, like your money, are digital, so nothing is really keeping you from leaving. Hmm. And and that results in something we already observe, which is that internet companies and digital nomads they choose countries kind of like people choose products. Hmm. So there are websites like Nomadlist that rank which are the best best cities to live in on cost of living versus uh, quality of life, and 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 they attract both the internet companies and the digital nomads and the the secondary effect i think this will inevitably have is that that's then it's suddenly you compete you compete for your citizens and companies and uh, that means you can't use uh, as, as much force to get your way anymore because if you use force to get your way then you kind of, um, you know, you might not offer as good services as people would want. Right. Um, and that means that not only will the country on the internet be different than a regular country, but regular countries will have to become more like products to survive. Um, Understood. Understood. That's a pretty powerful idea, very powerful idea. So uh, in, in, in this concept, I, of course, understand where Safety Wing comes in. Uh, what are the other products or services you think are necessary to build such an internet country? Um, the next one is pension mm-hmm. that uh, we're launching. So uh, um, that is to to help people save. We also want to reinvent it a little bit. I do find that the old ideas of retirement is not suited for this generation mm-hmm. entirely. So uh, we will release that by the end of the year. Uh, we have one very interesting idea in that that I might as well share here. Sure. Uh, because uh, it's a lovely idea. And it's this idea that instead of just having a target age, mm-hmm. like when you're 67 or 70, you, you, you retire, it's like a target amount. Um, so there is this thing called a perpetual uh, 
payment, which is that when you reach, reach a certain amount and you only take out 3% a year, you can kind of have that indefinitely. Right. Which means that uh, you can retire early <laughs> if you're uh, in position to do that. And of course, retire here, I think, will also come to mean a different thing, where retire really means that you're you're choosing what to work on on other criteria than uh, paying the rent. Like it is what you think is more uh, good and important and meaningful and where you can contribute the most sure. instead uh, or your art or whatever. So anyway, uh, that's one interesting idea we'll add into that. Uh, but of course, the main thing we're doing when we're making these products is to make it simple and global. Um, and, uh, then there are some other things down the line, um, where our philosophy is that we take each product one at a time and then we make it stand on their own. Like mm. we make a product that is good enough on its own to buy. And, um, um, so down the line we have inc some interesting things we're going to work on, like income protection. How do we make something that works like the way unemployment protection work in countries, but for internet, that's, that's an interesting problem because on sure. sure. in the internet, there are so many entrepreneurs and freelancers and their income is very variable. Of course. So the, so the sort of the, 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 the idea of just unemployment as in not being hired by a company as that's not the, a great separator. Uh, so we will have to come up with something better for that to work, but that's going to be an interesting channel, uh, challenge next year. For sure. Uh, you know, these are all super solutions and like interesting problems to be solving for as well. And, uh, I can immediately imagine there are so many challenges that you might have faced while coming up with solutions to such tough problems, just, uh, extremely curious to understand what these challenges were and both from, of course, you know, the particular problems itself, but also given the larger aspect of building a startup in such, uh, in, in such a context. So the toughest ch challenges we face is that we are bridging the gap between the future and the past, uh, in a way, in, a, in, in, in terms of, um, like our customers are, you know, these, digital nomads, mm -hmm. right? very, uh, you know, young, future-oriented people, internet savvy. And, um, but we, we also need to make our products in a way that is uh, legal, everywhere, solid, secure. And for that, we need to collaborate and have a product, you know, a good relationship with uh, insurance carriers, underwriters, Writers. Underwriters are the people who kind of um, uh, invest in paying insurance policies uh, and, uh, and countries, regulators. And right. So uh, in, in what we're always trying to do when we bridge that is we're trying to find out how can we make a product that is good, simple, easy to use and understand, mm -hmm. but at the same time is available to buy for anyone in the world. Um, and, and that is the, that is that is always the challenge we have to do. We have to to deal with to 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 have the speed of a tech startup right. in this regulated environment. Sure.
I, I, no, I can totally imagine that. And as, as you very nicely put there, uh, it's sort of uh, trying to bridge this gap between the young generation, which is probably want, uh, you know wanting things at, at, at a crazy speed and uh, the big countries, which are probably not ready to move at that pace. So I can totally understand mm. the friction there. So between these two parties, which has been the more uh, you know tougher one to crack? or uh, at least in the very initial part of your journey, which seemed the tougher challenge or a little insurmountable at certain times? Um, so when you, when you first start out, and I guess this is to anyone who is considering starting uh, an insurance startup, mm-hmm. uh, the first challenge you have to solve is um, essentially finding a partner who's willing to take a chance on you. The reason is that Becoming a carrier and underwriter as a startup, it requires like an enormous amount of capital and licenses. Yeah. So, which makes it um, not a good place to start because then you're going to spend forever to get your first product to market before you even know if it's something people want to buy. So, the the first step is to find that find the insurance carrier. To, who's willing to take a chance on your new idea. Um, and, uh, and that is challenging uh, because you have to be credible and persuasive and be able to communicate your idea. And also, you have to understand where they're coming from, right? So they're, it's, a, it's, a, it's a conservative industry insurance for good reasons because stability is what they're optimizing for Hmm. and um and um so you have to really understand try to understand them as much as you can understand what their context is and how those building blocks that they already have can be used to build what the future wants so that uh that is the, the first challenge phase finding an insurance carrier and then going through the process of of product development and negotiation to to product launch. No, totally. And would you say that after you had the first few uh, insurance providers and maybe one one sub product ready, it was probably mm-hmm. easier to expand that to you know other services and uh, also to other insurance providers? Was it easier than the very first few steps that you had to take? Yes. Uh, oh, absolutely. Um, and this was something we, we had uh, predicted. Mm. Uh, so in the beginning, well, I mentioned we had this very cool end state in mind of like a country on the internet, a global social safety net, like yeah. the one we have. And then it's like, well, how do we get there? And we knew that we couldn't build the end state right away. Uh, so we kind of took the path of evolution. <laughs> so if you're an organism, mm-hmm. right, you start out as a sort of single cell organism, you have to be able to survive as a single celled organism in order to get further. Like even if we're aiming to become, you know, an elephant <laughs> or a dolphin, um, we, we have to first make it as a single cell organism uh, completely. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that was, how we um, we went about that. We we had to ask ourselves what what will work the first. And uh, and once we had done that, you know, and we had a you know 
a great insurance partner in Tokyo Marine HCC and Lloyds of London and now also now Health and AXA and, and many others. Um, but yes, absolutely. As, as we scale up, as we grew and we grew very quickly, um, then suddenly we have a different story to tell because it's not it's not just a dream. We have uh, like real revenue and we're like an attractive partner and we have evidence behind our claims and um, and then we can work on the next stage of our evolution in a way because we have and that was what we foresaw and that is also what happened. For sure, for sure, that's very beautifully put. And. In, in, in this journey, uh, you know, of course, uh, you were part of Y Combinator, Safety Wing was a part of Y Combinator as well. So uh, what made you decide to take uh, the journey of Y Combinator again? And uh, wh- what do you think is uh, that aspect of Y Combinator that really contributes to startups and uh, the learnings that you got out of it for Safety Wing? Yes. Well, uh, so why did we apply to, why would we do Y Combinator again? Mm-hmm. That is uh, because it's great. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it's a really good way to make a startup move much faster and increase the quality of what we're doing. Uh, I also had new co-founders, uh, Sarah and Hans, who hadn't done it before, um, but uh, it also makes fundraising a lot easier uh, and hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's it's all of that, and and it works exactly as I hoped. It was I learned as much, and we had the same experience of getting into Y Combinator, and suddenly everything we did became better because you're next to other world class founders, and you can learn from them. And uh, it it's also a little bit like the world is watching. So you and and Y Combinator is very good at making sure that you you know, grow 10% per week that you make progress every week. Hmm. Uh, and, and so you, you get into this momentum, which I think we, to some degree, were able to retain after YC. Right. Uh, so it's like, it's like starting up the engine and it's just like you get the momentum going and off you go. So I, I, I think there is no other way I know of to, to get that, uh, momentum going as an early stage startup than doing Y Combinator. So that's why I applied again. Uh, top learnings. Well, the journey of getting into Y Combinator is like first joy and then it's sort of terrifying as you're trying to <laughs> get things done in yeah. a very rapid fashion. And for us, that was uh, launching the product. And it, since it was the first time, we there was so many unknowns that we discovered and uh, I don't. I can't. I don't think I've ever worked as intensely and so much as I did in that time. Yeah. So that was. But we were able to to launch the product. We were able to, uh, you know, launch before demo day and and we got the full full value of it. Uh, top learnings. Uh, the, the top learnings are actually like the main things in the program. You know, <sighs> they're very good at being able to sort what's in, what is important at Y Combinator. And, you know, much of that is thanks to Paul Graham, Sam Altman, mm-hmm. Paul's essays and, and Sam Altman's writings. And also, of course, Michael Seibel, who's doing it today. They're all very good at communicating clearly and simply in language you understand and to say the important thing and nothing else. Mm. So, and what is the important thing? Well, 
as Y Combinator slogan, slogan says, make something people want. Right, right. Something. Or uh, there's another lesson that Paul Bookwright, another YC partner has, which is um, it's better to make something like 100 people love than something a million kind of sort of likes. And if you combine those two, it's make something people love. <laughs> uh, uh, or if you add our, our whole marketing philosophy into that, it is make a product people love so much they tell their friends. And uh, that is one of our, you know, primary product uh, philosophies. Um, and, and how do you do that? Well, that's actually the second y com main Y Combinator learning, which is mm -hmm. talk to users and build your product and nothing else. Uh, so uh, we're very careful and about talking to our customers, listening to them, mm -hmm. um, and, and trying to address their problems instead of like getting too, falling too much in love with our own ideas. For sure. Uh, we're trying to listen to their real acute problems and address them. Mm -hmm. And that's a great way. That's a great way to build a company. Love that. Love that totally. And in building such a company and with all of these learnings that you've just mentioned, uh, what was the trigger to set up a remote company? I, I totally understand that you're very familiar and also comfortable with the idea of remote given that you, you had a you know, freelance-related uh, startup, you yourself were a digital nomad for a certain period of time. So the idea of working remotely wasn't alien to you at all. But why did you choose a remote team for SafetyWay? Yes. So I have to say, to me, it was the natural choice. Um, it would have been, for me, very strange to do an on-site company. So I imagine that this is going to be the case in a few years for everyone, mm -hmm. that the default will be remote. And uh, this angel of sky, Andreas Klinger, also talked about that. Um, but, you know, and, and why is it natural? Well, so firstly, I work on my computer. I'm very used to the tools and have been since I was a teenager in the sort of proto Slack. It was called IRC back then. Right. Um, and uh, I work because my world uh, is the internet. That's where I was born. Uh, you know, there is uh, uh, all my friends are there. <laughs> and they're not, you know, located in my immediate surroundings. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, in order to start a company with friends who are at different locations on the globe, there is only one way, and that is to build a remote company. Now, as it happens, I, I should also say that I had been doing a previous company remotely, and I had been doing things remotely for a decade. Mm -hmm. So, and safe doing is built to solve the problem of remote work. Hmm. Uh, so, I, I think it would have been a it would have been a bit of an explanatory gap if we weren't <laughs> all for ourselves. Uh, yeah. So, that's for us. Makes sense. Totally makes sense. But, uh, you know, given that you were part of the Y Combinator program and you have other investors also on board, what were their inputs on building such a team? Of course, I think over the past few years, investors have become a little more comfortable with the idea of working with a remote team. But, uh, you know, in your specific case, how was that? Yeah, no, that has completely changed. So when I did a Y Combinator with my previous company, Superside, then 
we mentioned it, but this it raised a lot of questions. Hmm. The fact that we were remote, mm. even though it was central to our product, so that is was not the case two years ago, and it certainly is not the case today. Mm-hmm. Um, so even two years ago, that was widely accepted, right. and uh, today it's it's a highlight. Today is a highlight. Like mm. we would we would t- draw that up as an example that builds credibility today. Sure. Uh, even among investors. Uh, so uh, so we never I, I've never received any any uh, skepticism mm-hmm. towards us having a remote team. Okay. Uh, it seemed to make sense for everyone, um, uh, including investors. And uh, and why is that? Well, it's because remote work has been growing exponentially for many years, and um, it's just getting mainstream in Silicon Valley. Uh, you know, all the funds have some remote people. Hmm. Uh, a lot of their com- you have some of the big companies have gotten remote, like GitLab, Zapier, um, Buffer, um, based. So you have the success stories. Everyone has a personal experience at this point. And there's a hype on top of that where there's like for a, for a while it's been a thing. It's like a trend. It's, it's a thing people talk about. Right. How are we going to remote first, remote ready? How are we going to start a remote team? The big the companies that lead the way like Stripe you know, are, are shifting to that. So and now, of course, with the coronavirus, everyone is remote. It's not in the best way. <laughs> but the thing that will happen from that is that, which I'm already seeing happening, is that people who were not remote, they're switched to, to work from home and, and therefore remote. And for to make that work, they're building systems that make remote work. And those systems, they will stay. And, 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 uh, and that remote capability, I think, will... Uh, like remote work was already growing so rapidly, but this year it's, it's going to take a huge jump because of that. For sure, and just trying to uh, you know understand this a little more, um, just so that you know other entrepreneurs who are listening, uh, what if they're even a bit concerned about uh, what investors might think uh, if they were to ever suggest that they're going to be building a remote team? Uh, what what would your uh, you know advice to them be? Uh, no, I, I I would say it's not a weakness. So this is uh, I would say just update your understanding here. Right. Uh, just say it confidently. Uh, like the, it is not. It is actually a strength. Uh, it allows, uh, and and certainly in this day and age, like the fact that you can and are able to build a remote company uh, is a capability that allows you to hire better talent. Um, and and. And th- that is that is strength, regardless of which product you're building. Totally agree. Uh, it will allow you to scale faster and uh, get better people, and uh, and uh, that um, that is a plus. That makes you a more interesting, attractive as an investment. That's what I. That that is actually what I think is the case. Mm-hmm. So so, but, but of course, if you think it's not, and you you sort of presented it as the opposite, mm-hmm. uh, where you sort of say. Oh, I don't know. We're remote, but you know, maybe that's a bad idea. What do you think? <laughs> you know, it's not that. Is you're gonna get skeptical questions back. 
Right. But that's nothing to do with remote work. It's just because it seems like you're not confident in the decision. So that's that would be my suggestion is uh, is to uh, understand that it's not a weakness anymore. It used uh, to be, but it's not now. Absolutely, Sandra. Totally agree. In 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 all of this context and understanding all the advantages of remote work, which which I totally am uh, on board with. Uh, just want to understand any challenges that you might have faced while building such a remote team. And uh, of course, these challenges are not uh, things you can't solve for. So would love to hear your solutions as well. So what were the key challenges and how did you solve them? Yes. So one of the key challenges is sort of coordination, natural coordination or serendipitous information flow. Mm-hmm. So when you work in the same place, people talk to each other, people overhear conversations, people meet in the hallway, and uh, critical information is actually spread, diffused throughout the company that way. Uh, but when you're remote, since um, especially if you're asynchronous, each conversation have to be intentional, and you you miss some of this serendipitous information flow. Hmm. Um, and I actually think that's pretty, pretty important. Uh, so important that in the beginning of safety wing, we went for a pretty radical all sync solution, uh, where we uh, had certain hours that everyone was on and we were kind of on video as if we were sitting in the same room, but that's when we were like four people and, uh, but we were still in both Europe and the U S and it was a stretch time yeah. zone wise. Um, so we switched then to like a hybrid thing where we have a couple of core hours in the middle. Um, but it's, um, um, but, uh, uh, we also implemented some other things. Like we started using this tool called Sococo. Yeah. There are some very good alternatives there, but it's like this little Sims looking thing where you can see uh, you have like a virtual office. You can see who's in different rooms and, and that's video conferencing each of the rooms. Right. Um, and that gives that sense of being able to knock on the door to kind of spontaneously create meetings, etc. cetera. Right. Uh, another thing we did was we implemented this thing called lunch, which is before a meeting, there's like in half an hour where, where people prepare for the meetings, but where you show up and there's no agenda and people can talk about anything. Yeah. Uh, and that creates some of the same, same information flow. Uh, another solution is, you know, we have three to four team gatherings per year mm-hmm. for a week. That certainly is a critical component, I would say. Um, yeah. And, and lastly, I would say like a lot of the, infrastructure that big companies already implement mm-hmm. uh, or bigger. I mean, like, uh, st- uh, like 20 plus uh, person startups, remote, uh, startups just has to implement them a little bit sooner. And that's things like goals, weekly, uh, kind of goal update where you say what you're doing next week, last week, putting that in writing. Um, and also we have every meeting like creative meeting where we come up, and this is one thing that works better remote than live, which is that we do these problem-solving meetings where people come up with ideas, we gather them a sheet to solve a particular problems, and then we rank them on effect and complexity, and we do the best ones. Uh, 
And uh, yeah, so those are some of the good things we've implemented. And for us, this just works now. So that is not uh, an issue anymore that is addressed. And there, that's two different ways to address them, the hybrid approach or the completely synchronous, both work. Super, sounds great. And and just touching upon what's currently happening with the coronavirus, uh, you're, you're interacting with customers who are actually digital nomads. So they are also working remotely or even remote workers. So what are some of the challenges they're facing? Now, you'd mentioned at the beginning of the call that, uh, mm. you know, it, it's been really uh, busy that, and uh, you've been totally uh, swamped with all, all the requests that you might be getting. So something that you can tell us a bit about that as well. Yes. So uh, we are, you know, it's, there's a global pandemic and we're a global health company. Mm. Um, so with nomad insurance, we, because that is mostly, you know, remote workers who live abroad, uh, we um, are helping many out with uh, evacuations. Um, and uh, we're, we're working on a tool to, um, and many people are asking us questions that are hard to answer, like, I'm in a particular location, let's say Thailand, but I'm from this other country. And, um, and the question is, what, what should I do? And, uh, yeah. and the, the, the answer is, is not always obvious and things are changing quickly. We are working on a tool, which hope to have live already by the weekend that we've made this week, uh, which I'm very happy about, uh, which is called flatten the curve. And uh, it's essentially uh, what we've done is is like a world map, and you can click into each country, and you can see the sort of rule, the, the rules and the measures and testing and treatment things in that country. Like, what are the quarantine rules, and how can you get uh, travel restrictions? How can you get tested and treated mm-hmm. in a very sort of clear and simple way? Um, and and that's to kind of just to have better answers for many of our customers, which are wondering. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, so those are some of the things we're doing. Um, it's been remarkable, I should say, how much people are respond. Uh, you know, our team is 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 very much on. We're we're keeping the customer service response time, you know, below one minute. Wow. And um, so we're on top of it. Everyone is really on board. We, it feels like we're making a difference. <laughs> you know, sure. we're, we're really doing our best to, to help people out. Um, and, um, and also many people are buying more, more people are definitely also buying the product. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's people who I'm guessing before maybe concluded that, uh, you know, that take the risk and, but now they, they, they want to be, want to be a bit more secure um yeah so. totally totally uh, really commendable effort on that uh, Sandra, I totally appreciate it and uh, also i would like to uh, touch a little upon remote working again uh, you know given that there are other uh, you know much larger remote working companies you mentioned a few you mentioned get labs apr etc so what are some of the things that you've probably picked up from them which you have sort of uh, implemented in safety wing as well and mm. uh, also when you advise a new startup which is uh, just about to take the plunge of remote working 
what are two or three non-negotiables that you would advise them about? Yes, uh, I should add one thing on the last question, which relates to this one, which is that we are also, you know, selling health insurance for remote workers and remote teams. And many teams are going remote nowadays, so we get a lot of interest and questions from companies, organizations that have recently switched. Hmm. And that's why I think this podcast is so great as well. So make sure you you get that out there because uh, for us who have been remote, we have been through the thing, we've figured out the stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to share that knowledge now quickly, so to 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 make you know uh, people's everyday lives better. Um, and and we are trying to do that. <clears throat> so what have we learned from so from GitLab, for example, and I, you know their head of Montero, there have. That we had an event in San Francisco called How to Build and Scale a Remote Team, where he was one of the participants and uh, in, on the panel. And uh, there was one thing we definitely learned on the team after that, and that is uh, to get better at documentation. Mm. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a word that uh, Maybe it's like insurance. It sort of doesn't inspire. It's not an inspiring word, documentation. But <laughs> the idea is to write down how you do things in a very simple, appealing way. Yeah. Um, and why would you write down how you do things? Well, it's because uh, in a normal office you can just observe how people act. Yeah. And infer it. So there's less need for documentation because the examples are all around you. Um, but in a remote team where that is not as visible, you want to write things down. You want to write things down and improve them. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of think of making your own company as almost like a software thing where it's like version 1.0, you know, 1.1, <laughs> where you improve the internal uh, culture and operating mechanism and have that written down. So, so that I think was was a great thing and uh, we, we we have taken some some steps after after we learned that um, two to three non-negotiables well one one non-negotiable is is this idea of measuring output instead of input mm-hmm. if you try to measure input it's difficult and it's not going to work so but if you st- instead optimize on measuring output then it's going to work much better. And I actually think it's superior, mm-hmm. uh, right? So I, I, I have seen that at a normal company, how people will be you know, obsessed about whether people arrive you know, on time and they're sitting at their desk, but they might not get anything done. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, That's yeah. perfectly possible. Um, in a remote company, one that is asynchronous, you, you can't see what they're doing. You can't see where they are. All the time, you can't go and look over their shoulder, which means all of that surveillance mechanism is, is out the window. So instead, you have to get good at measuring output. Hmm. And I think it's a much, much more pleasurable thing to do, a much more meaningful thing to do to see, to, to look at what people do, hmm. you know, instead of, you know, what they put in. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so I would say that's a non-negotiable. Measure output instead of input and get good at that. 
Okay, so that's one. And then one more non-negotiable is you got to have a weekly meeting. <laughs> you got to have a weekly meeting. <laughs> I, I sometimes meet companies and they don't have that. And yeah, like in your local team, in your team, you have to have a, a meeting some day of the week where you, and you should write down what was the goals from last week, which one did we got done or, and if some of them didn't get done, why, what's blocking that, what's happening. Uh, and then what you plan to do next week and talk through them, have time to do problem solving. Hmm. Uh, that's like the heartbeat of the company. Right. Um, that, uh, that, that pulse, that momentum that makes you move forward. And, uh, you know, if you're not making progress, just implement that. And I can almost guarantee it that will make the difference. And then the last thing I would say is, uh, you know, practice, practice setting goals. Um, that is another thing that is even more important in, in, in remote because that allows people to a bit more, in a bit more decentralized way, understand where we're going. Hmm. And, uh, we have made sort of ourselves a simplified version of something called OKRs, which is kind of corporate deeping called objectives, key results. Okay. Uh, it's this idea that you have like qualitative goals, like make a people product people love so much to tell their friends. And then you have like measurable results under that. And you put that on a yearly plan, like quarterly, uh, steps, places you want to get to in the proxies. And, uh, and then you input a meeting in the calendar where you update on that once a month and that um, that, well, I got, I got a little bit more specific now, but the overall category of having goals and having a way of like talk, returning to talk about how we're doing towards the goals on a regular basis, mm -hmm. that's a non-negotiable, I think. And how much of ensuring all of these things do happen needs to be done right at the origin of it, which is, uh, how you hire people. So, uh, the kind of people that you hire, the kind of personality that you hire, mm -hmm. uh, how, how much does that affect, you know, the implementation of all of this? Yes. Uh, well, here I should speak very much for ourselves because I think you can make it work with in many different ways, um, I suspect. But in our case, what we, we the way we solve for that is, you know, we just you just need more independent, creative people. Hmm. Uh, so because nobody's going to look over their shoulder or, or like tell them what to do, which means we need people who figure that out themselves. Uh, and if they can't do that, that's a very tough thing to learn on the job. So it's much better to, to hire people who prefer that. Um, so we, we definitely look for these kind of people who are very authentic seeming independent thinkers who are creative mm -hmm. uh, and, and take responsibility for the things around them uh, without being told what to do. And, and for us, that's an, that's just a necessity mm. because we, we, there, we don't, we can't have someone standing over their shoulders telling them what to do. And, uh, that's just, I, I have no idea how to make that work. <laughs> uh, means this is uh, the way it has to be. And, um, and so that's what we select for. I should also, we, there is also this great idea, I think, in all relationships, which is if you want the same thing, then you will have peace. 
Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we definitely put a lot of value on, do you want, do people want to work remotely? Do they care about the mission and problem we're solving? Um, because if they do, then it's almost like a voluntary thing, right? It's, it's yeah. like they're, we both want to do this. So how about we do it together? You know, we'll, it's, it'll go twice as fast. Um, and, uh, and that also is a, you know, a good selector. Like if someone doesn't want to work remotely, yeah. you know, what, why why do that so, so that's that's another one super so independent people who are in alignment with the culture of the company sure super sounds great and uh, you know congratulations i saw that you guys actually launched the new product global health insurance i think was it earlier this month or late last month i'm not entirely sure yeah earlier this month actually super so how was the reception if you could tell us a bit about the concept and you know how it went would we'll, we'll love to mm. hear a bit about that yeah, uh, so it went f- fantastically well, I would say. We we had a product hunt launch and we were sort of on the top top products that day. Uh, we had something like eight, 900 upvotes there. And uh, uh, so the product is called Remote Health. It's the first global health insurance for remote teams. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, it's kind of a slightly higher price point, like more complete, uh, really a fully complete health insurance <clears throat> that covers everything, you know, including pre-existing conditions and, you know, long-term cancer treatment. And uh, what we wanted to simplify was this thing that we have gotten so many questions on with the first product, which is we meet companies who wanted to buy it for their employees or contractors. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this was our response to that. So a company can now register there and then they can like uh, add or remove people on the plan on an ongoing basis. Mm -hmm. So the company is like on a yearly plan, but the the individual, they can just kind of one month add uh, and and remove. So it's flexible. Uh, It's the same product in the whole world. Uh, So it will work for like a remote team that has people in many different countries, even if they move, they can stay on the same plan mm-hmm. uh, very easily from a dashboard, you know, all, all online sign up, you know, 10 minutes. So, uh, so that uh, I think is a great simplification. It's still early, uh, but the reception has been very positive. I, I think, uh, uh, yeah, something like, I think it was 140 companies have like reached out, uh, since since the launch and uh, and uh, yeah so we're working uh, to to see how that is going but uh, yeah that is definitely in the early stages and uh, I would love to see how that goes over the coming year but great reception so far sounds like an amazing product and of course great numbers already so congrats on that and uh, you know there's just so much more that I would like to talk to you about uh, so, so probably you could schedule another call some sometime. Uh, but just getting to the last part of our podcast, where uh, which I would just call the philosophical part of it, yeah. So just trying to get your thoughts around a couple of philosophical questions. Uh, the first one goes uh, this way, which is, what is one piece of advice you would give your 22-year-old self? Yes, um, I think I have a different answer to that. I, I think right now. One thing I, I've learned is that 
Sam Altman says this line where it's like, it's easier to build a hard product, a hard startup than an easy one uh, in, in a weird way, because if you do something hard, there's more enthusiasm. You care more about it yourself. It's easier to hire for it hmm. uh, because it's, it's an important problem. Um, I think, you know, I remember when I was 22, I definitely had this idea that I had to go through steps. And there's some, there, it's, it's not entirely wrong, so uh, it, it, you know, it's not completely off, um, but you can go through the steps in the direction you want, uh, right. I think. So, so I would say, you know, there, don't wait. Like, uh, imagine like the best thing you can do and walk in that direction. Hmm. Um, that is, that is something that I'm very happy that I'm doing now, and I could have switched that earlier. I I, I only had this mistaken idea that doing the, the thing that I really wanted to do was too hard to start with, and that I had to build skills and connections in a different hmm. sort of easier domain. Uh, but but now I think that is that is not true. I think uh, you can do that in the domain that you think is right and. Uh, and in, it might even be easier in a weird way because there's less competition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's very inspiring as well. And uh, the second question that I would like to ask you is this. What is one piece of advice you were given that has worked out extremely well for you? Yes. So I think I would like to mention here my favorite catchphrase, which is uh, all problems are solvable. Uh, it wasn't an advice given to me. It was just read in a book, uh, by the fantastic book, the beginning of infinity by David Deutsch. And, uh, he shows in that book why that's actually correct. Like it's, it's not just, uh, advice. I think it's something that is always true. And it's a very good reminder in so many situations that seem very dark uh, to have this attitude of optimism mm -hmm. that problems can be solved, uh, and you're, so you're not afraid of them. And I'm not talking about the kind of optimism where it's like everything is going to be okay. You know that's that has its use, but but all problems are solvable. That is an optimism that allows you to take on any challenge, no matter how big. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I find that to be the most useful in the sense of most often thought about. Yeah. Uh, it, and whenever I think about it, it always switches my mind over from one of worry to one of being an active agent and a problem solver. Um, because being reminded that all problems are solvable makes me start thinking about, well, what might, what might a solution be? What? knowledge can get me out of this hmm. situation uh, and 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 then I will start to use creativity to come up with that and uh, that is extremely useful and helpful that's beautiful once again Sandre that's just great it was just amazing talking to you and uh, you know got to say safety wing is solving an amazing problem you know I just give all my best wishes to you guys uh, and all the success that you guys can get in these tough times, I'm really interested to uh, see the product that you just mentioned, uh, which is going to be released later in the weekend, which is Flatten the Curve. Uh, mm -hmm. 
would uh, would be great if you can share it with us as well would like to distribute it to as many people as possible so that you know it can help uh, as many people in these uh, troubling times as uh, it can thank you very much i will make sure to send that to you and it was a pleasure talking to you